Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. Well, this is the last week of our comeback series that we've been doing the last couple weeks. And uh, if you've missed the last two, I want to encourage you, you can go to our YouTube page, The Harbor Church, and, uh, and watch the last two to, to try to catch you up to speed really quick. We've been looking at different comeback stories that we read about in the Bible. You know, there's something about a comeback story that's so inspiring, that touches people's hearts, and, and just it, it moves you to a place where you want to make a difference, you want to make a change. And so this whole series has centered around the fact that we serve the God of the comeback. And so the first week, we looked at the story of Abraham, and, and the message was called Content in My Context. And the, the whole idea behind the message was that in order to initiate a comeback, you got to get to the point where you're able to find contentment in your context, in your situation, in your reality, in your dysfunction, in that thing that's happening in your family, that you have to get to the point where you find contentment. And we define contentment as just pursuing the peace of God, as you making this simple decision to say, I'm not going to just believe for God's peace for that person who I just prayed for or I just thought about or I just heard that. No, I'm going to pursue the peace of God in what I'm dealing with, in what I'm feeling, in what I'm facing. We talked about the importance of being content in your context. Last week, we looked at the story of Samson, and and we went through this story, and, and the whole theme, what we were driving home last week was this idea that character catches up. Character catches up. And it's so easy to fall into the trap where we live for what people see and we ignore what only God can see. But the reality is, is that there will come a time where what nobody sees catches up with what everybody sees. And if you can just entrust God with what everyone sees and you just focus on what only he can see, that godly character catches up just like bad character does. And so tonight we are closing out this series and we're going to be looking at the story of Gideon. Some of you maybe have heard this story before, some of you have not. We're going to go through it. I'm going to give you kind of the quick version. I want to encourage you, you can go home uh, tonight or tomorrow, read through the story yourself. You can can start it in Judges 6. It's a few chapters long. But I've entitled the talk tonight, The War Within. Say the war within. Turn to your neighbor and say you didn't say it. Say the war within. We need participation or this thing doesn't work like it should, okay? So I need you to talk back. We, uh, we're going to look at the story of Gideon tonight, and uh, to give you a little context of what we're about to read, uh, we're about to pick up a story where an angel of the Lord appears to a man named Gideon, and he, God is speaking through this angel to Gideon. Now, the context of this guy named Gideon, Gideon is a, an Israelite, and God's people have been oppressed by the Midianites for seven years. So this guy named Gideon has been under oppression from an enemy for seven years when the angel appears to him. So we're going to pick it up in chapter 6, verse 11. You can follow up on the screen. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in uh, Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Pause right there because I want to, I want to drill home a theme over these next couple minutes. The angel of the Lord appears to Gideon while he's threshing wheat in a wine press. It makes no sense. You usually would thresh wheat in the wide open because you needed the wind to blow away what you didn't need. He's threshing wheat in a wine press because he's keeping it from the Midianites. He is hiding from the enemy. So Gideon's current state when the angel appears to him is he's in a state of hiding from the enemy. He's in fear. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Check out Gideon's response. 
pardon me, my Lord? Like, whoa, okay, we're going to do it like that, Gideon? We're gonna, we're, you're literally, if an angel of the Lord appeared to you, for you to catch lip with the angel that quick is ridiculous. Gideon just says, okay, pardon me? Excuse me? He says, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Now, there's something that we could relate to. Maybe you haven't said, pardon me, God, but maybe you can relate to the fact to me like, oh, God, you're faithful. Oh, God, you're always good, like the Harbor Worship team just sang. Well, then how come my situation's not good? I don't, I don't see how good you are in my life. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I can only relate to Gideon. He says, where all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when, when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Excuse me? You're good? Well, where have you been? How come the God of our ancestors, we don't see it now? How come the God of the Bible, I don't see in my life right now? If you were really good, then we wouldn't be in this situation. So the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord? Gideon replied. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, because I'll be with you. Now, this phrase, I will be with you, is the exact same phrase that God speaks to Moses and speaks to Joshua, his ancestors. And basically, God is promising his presence for the journey. He says, you will strike down all the Midianites leaving none alive. Gideon replied, if now I found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, okay, I'll wait till you return. So let's just sum up what we just read. An angel appears to Gideon. Gideon talks smack to the angel, super aggressive, right out of the gate. Then Gideon follows that up with challenging him yet again, saying, oh, really, you're going to use me? Because uh, my clan is the smallest, and I'm the least of all the clan. Did you not realize I was just high? I was just threshing wheat in a wine press. Maybe you missed that when you zapped down, but I was literally just hiding when you showed up. And so then God speaks this amazing promise. And then even when you push back through some of the fear, he says, you know what? I still need a sign to know that this is really you. The angel speaking to him wasn't enough. So he says, could you just wait here? So the Lord says, okay, I'll wait. So Gideon goes and he gets an offering. He prepares a meal, sacrifice. He brings it back. The angel says, okay, I want you to take the broth, the liquid, and I want you to saturate the whole thing. So he dumps it over the whole meal that he prepared. And then the angel, as a sign that it was God speaking to him, sets the whole thing on fire as it's soaking wet. Well, now Gideon is overcome with a different kind of fear because Gideon just realizes, I just talked back to God Almighty. Like, I just spent this whole conversation being disrespectful to the God. So now Gideon is fearful and trembling, thinking that God is going to strike him down dead. So God says, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Crazy. Crazy. So that night, if you continue to read, you see that God speaks to Gideon, and, and he says, I want you to go, and I want you to tear down the altar of Baal and the Asherah pole that's, that's been built. So all the idol worship, I want you to tear it down. And if you continue to read, you see in verse 27 that Gideon took 10 of his servants and he did as the Lord told him. But because, check this out, he was too afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than the daytime. So he was obedient, but he did it his way because he was too afraid. 
Are you starting to see this theme of fear and doubt that Gideon can't get away from? Everything that Gideon's saying, all of his actions are done through this fear and doubt that his, is encompassing Gideon's life. So the next day, when the townspeople wake up, there's a huge commotion because now the idol worship has been torn down. And so everyone's trying to figure out who did it, and word starts to spread that it was Gideon. Now, this was probably Gideon's worst nightmare because he was the guy who was too afraid to do it during the day, so he did it at night when everyone was sleeping. So I'm sure he was freaking out a little bit when word started to get out that it was him. But what's so cool about this is that I really do believe that it was God that word got out because God uses this to do what he's about to do in this next section. You start to read that all the, the enemies of the east, they gather together to come against God's people. So in verse 34 of chapter 6, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet him. I'll be honest with you. I think that God used word getting out that it was Gideon who tore down the things that actually encouraged men to follow him. Because if, if word got out that Gideon was summoning people, people might be like, Who? Who? But God used what Gideon had done in his obedience, even when Gideon did it in his own way out of fear, to set up what he was about to do through Gideon. So he, he summons all these people when, when, when God's spirit comes on him. And then you see that Gideon says to God, check out this, this war within that we're talking about. You can literally see it how this sentence is constructed. It says, if you will save Israel by my hand as you've promised, look. I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. <laughs> you can see that as he's talking to God, he's like, all right. Like, he's processing it. Like, all right, if you're going to do it, if you're going to use me, all right, hold on. Look, this is what we got to do. So he says he's, he's basically testing God. So he says, I'm going to place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I'll know that you'll save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. So Gideon, in all of his doubt, says to God, all right, yet again, if you're going to do what you say you're going to do, I'm going to need a sign. So if you could just let dew fall on this little thing, but everything else would be dry, that'd be awesome. God did it so much so that they rang out a bowl full of water. I mean, God just continues to be patient with Gideon and give Gideon what he needs. But then check this out. Then Gideon says to God, hey, listen, don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Have you ever had a season of life where you felt like God was putting something on your heart? And you were like, maybe in a worship service, you're like, I'm in. I'm doing it. God, you're always good. And it literally, by the time you get to the your car in the parking lot, you're like, you know what? Maybe I might have misunderstood God. I don't know that he would have. God, I'm going to need a sign. <laughs> God, I'm going to need you to, like, light my car on fire. And if you do that, then I know that it's you. If lightning strikes my car and it goes up in flames, then I know it's you. And then I have no problem being obedient, God. <laughs> what I think was so awesome, though, was that you see repeatedly, I mean, we're, we're not even through the chapter yet, and you see how many times Gideon is fearful, how many times Gideon is overcome with doubt, how many times that Gideon is actually putting God to the test, giving God an attitude, but yet God is so patient with Gideon, 
Because God is so much bigger than his doubts and his fears. So he gives them two more signs. You read that the next morning, Gideon takes all the troops who had assembled, 32,000 soldiers, he, he got to come to join arms together. They go and they, uh, they get up early, they camp out by a well, and they camp out on high ground. So everything they did made sense tactically. A tactically sound approach. It was awesome what Gideon did. Everything he was supposed to do. But then you start to read that, that God speaks to Gideon and he says, hey, you got 32,000 people. Gideon's probably like, yep. And we're about to face hundreds of thousands of people. You need to understand how many of the enemy there were. Hundreds of thousands of men. You got 32,000 people. Gideon's like, yeah, that's all I could get together. God says, it's too many. Now listen, we could take the bravest guy in the room. We, we could take the person who's experienced frightful situations, the bravest person in the room, and you'd probably be so confused and overcome with fear and doubt if we said, you, we put you in Gideon's shoes and said, that's too many guys. You got to whittle it down. God is saying this to Gideon, who we've already seen and read that he has already been overcome with fear and doubt. You got too many guys. And God's reason for it is he says, when I save Israel, Israel needs to know that it wasn't by their hand, it's by mine. There's too many men. So he gives Gideon instruction. He says, this is what I want you to do. This is how you narrow the army down. I want you to make an announcement. If there's any, anyone here who's afraid, who's trembling with fear, you can go home. 22,000 soldiers left. 22,000 soldiers left. Okay, put yourself in the shoes of one of the 10,000 soldiers that stayed. I think I'd be freaking out a little bit. Like, yo, I'm scared too, but I'm not walking away. I mean, they were literally cut into a third. Put yourself in Gideon's shoes as you're like, God, what are you doing? I mean, I appreciate the, the dew on the whatever, cloth, but come on. We're about, do you know how many people are down there? You know how many people we're about to face? And if you read in commentaries, Gideon had the perfect view of the enemy from where they had camped. On high ground, he could see exactly how many people he was about to face. So God whittles it down to 10,000. Gideon comes back, God, we, we, it's, it's 10,000 now. God says, yeah, it's still too much. <laughs> I could, I, I mean, I'd catch an attitude too. I can, I can only imagine what's going on in Gideon's heart and mind. So God gives Gideon more instruction. He says, I want you to do this. I want you to go to the watering hole, and I want you to take note of how the men drink. Now, this sounds so weird, but when I tell you the meaning behind it, it's pretty cool. He says, every guy that gets down on his hands and knees and puts his mouth to the water, send home. But any guy who just kneels down, gets some water in his hand, and drinks from his hand, laps it up like a dog, he can stay. Such a weird thing. But when you start to, to research and read commentaries, there was significance to this. The significance was the men who knelt down on all fours and put their mouth to the water, they were desperate for water. They were concerned with drinking as much as they could in the time that they had. The men who just kneeled down and had a little water in their hand, they prioritized service to God more than their necessary refreshment. In other words, it was men who were less concerned with what they actually needed and were more concerned with God, what do you want us to do? I'm good, let's go. So as Gideon takes note of who drinks how, only 300 men drank from their hand. 300. 
facing hundreds of thousands. God took this army from 32,000 and whittles it down to 300 soldiers. So the Lord says to Gideon, pick this up in verse 7 of chapter 7. With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but he kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. So not only did he just keep 300, but even the servants and the slaves that would accompany soldiers and hold their rations, hold their portions, hold their water, hold their food, hold their equipment, he sent them home too. So those 300 even had to take over carrying their own stuff that they needed. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up and go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. Check this out. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. Up until this point, Gideon is coming to God with all these doubts, with all these fears, with all this attitude. God is patient with Gideon. God is working through with Gideon. God knows what he just did, what he just asked Gideon to do. And God is giving Gideon exactly what he needs before he even asks for it at this point. So God says, now I'm calling you to go do it, and I'm going to do it. But if you're afraid, then do this. So Gideon listens to God. He takes uh, this guy Pura with him, and they make the trek down in the middle of the night. When they get down there, they begin to overhear a conversation with two of the enemy soldiers. Now, this conversation is crazy, literally crazy. So the one soldier, the first soldier, is telling the other one, I just had the craziest dream, craziest dream. He says, I dreamt that a barley cake rolled, I don't know what a barley cake is, picture like a um, rainbow cake for all the Italians in the room. <laughs> a, a big old rainbow cake rolled down the hill and it smashed into the tent and wiped all the soldiers out. I know I wouldn't have said that out loud. If I had that dream, I would have never said that out loud. If I was the second soldier, I would have just been like, what did you eat, dude? Like, that's weird. Don't say that out loud. I don't care what you're dreaming. I don't want to, we don't have, we're not that close. <laughs> but what's crazy is he hears the first this, describe the dream like that. The second actually has an interpretation for the dream. And the second says, what that dream means is that the sword of Gideon is going to lay waste to our camp. Hold on one second. So God just put the dream that he had in the mind of an enemy soldier. And God just put the interpretation to the dream in the mouth of the other soldier. To encourage Gideon and give Gideon exactly what he needed. I don't know, maybe that just went over your head. God used the enemy to breathe life back into Gideon. The very thing, the very thing that Gideon is afraid of, that's, that is overwhelming Gideon, God uses those, those very soldiers that he was supposed to attack to supernaturally encourage and breathe life back into Gideon. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and he worshiped immediately. He didn't wait to go back up to his camp with all the other soldiers. Immediately when he heard it, it says that Gideon worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and he called out, Get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. 
Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me. The guy who's been doubting, the guy who's been fearful this whole time is now the guy saying to the camp, to the people around him, get up and watch me. Take my lead. Watch what I do. He says, follow my lead. When I go to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the, and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in the right hands the trumpets, they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. A lot of translations actually read a sword of the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their own swords. If you keep reading, you see that in this moment, through what God orchestrated, over 120,000 of the enemy soldiers killed each other. You literally see that as Gideon is fighting this war within, as he's battling his doubt, as he's battling his fear, even his attitude, his frustration with God, his disappointment when it came to his walk with God, his expectations that were unmet, as he's warring within, but he's obedient to what God asked him to do, God literally does it for him. Not only was it only 300 soldiers, it was 300 soldiers who weren't even carrying swords. They were carrying trumpets and jars and torches. Over 120,000 soldiers wiped out right before their eyes. As we close this out, I, I want to just give you a few takeaways from this story. Because I believe that each and every one of us are called to fight the war within. Life might be going okay for you right now. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm not facing hundreds of thousands of people. I'm not dreaming about barley cakes or rainbow cake or anything else. Life's going okay. Every single one of us in here, there's a war within that we've been called to fight. So I want to just give you a few really quick takeaways. We're going to end in just a moment. But I think these are things that every single person in here can apply to your life. First thing I want to point out, isn't it interesting that when we start this story, we see the picture that Gideon is currently hiding. He's doing a menial, menial task where he's not supposed to. He's hiding in fear from the enemy when the angel of the Lord appears to him, and God chooses to address Gideon as a mighty warrior. Another, another word for mighty in this translation is brave. So God appears to Gideon in the midst of hiding and refers to him as a brave warrior a guy who's hiding, and a guy who has no battle experience. God addresses him as a mighty warrior. I want you to write this down tonight. God calls according to who he's created you to be. Make it personal. God calls you according to who he's created you to be. I want to draw a, a simple but profound distinction for you tonight. I want to let you know that when it comes to your future and your destiny, you and God are never going to be on the same page in this regard. That when God calls you, he views you through the lens of who he's created you to be. 
when you view you, when I view me, I view myself through the lens of the things that I've done. I, I view myself through the man that I've been. I view myself through the lens of the person that I currently am. And so the calling of God is never really going to make sense because you and God aren't viewing yourself through the same lens. You're not viewing yourself with the same perspective. See, God created you to be used in a supernatural way. So for you to try to view your life in the natural, it's never going to make sense. You're never really going to feel qualified to do what God has called you to do because without God, you can never do it. And that's exactly why God can show up to a man with no battle experience who's hiding in fear and address him as a mighty warrior. Nothing about Gideon screams mighty. Nothing about Gideon gives you the impression that he's a brave guy who has what he needs to lead God's people in one of the most improbable victories ever told. But God refers to him as mighty. Why? Well, because even though Gideon is afraid, even though Gideon is full of disappointment, even though Gideon has an attitude, even though Gideon is overcome with doubt, here's the reality. God is bigger than all of those things. So God is not calling Gideon mighty because Gideon in and of himself is mighty. God is not calling him brave because in and of himself he's brave. He's actually the exact opposite, but where, when we're weakest, God is strongest. When we lack, God fills all the need. And so God refers to him as mighty. Then he refers to him, he has the audacity to refer to this guy as a warrior. I mean, that's a title that I, I would never throw around. I would never refer to someone as a veteran who's never served. God's referring to him as a warrior. He has no battle experience. He, he's never been in this. And, and now that we've gone through the whole story, I want to point something out to you. You ever meet a warrior who never swings a sword? Because this battle that God was calling Gideon to, Gideon, Gideon wasn't swinging swords, wiping dudes out. But God calls him a warrior, inferring that he's going to be at war, but I think really the war that God was calling Gideon to was not in the physical. It was the war within. Hey, I, I need you to be brave. I need you to be mighty. And we're going to go to battle. Because every thought that comes in your head doesn't mean that it's true. Just because you feel something doesn't mean that you submit to it and you take ownership of it. Every thought that comes in your head, every word that's been spoken over you, and I don't care who's spoken it over you, does not mean that it's true. We wouldn't have verses about taking thoughts captive if everything that you felt was accurate. So God is calling all of us to fight the war within, to be brave enough to face those doubts, to face those fears, to face the unmet expectation, to face the disappointment, to, to face those fears that you're like, I'm afraid to go all in because I don't want to be disappointed. He's calling us to be brave enough to declare war, to be a warrior, to go to battle with those things because God is not intimidated by those things. God is bigger than all of them. God sees you according to who he's called you to be. So when God calls you, don't be thrown off when you're fearful. Don't be thrown off when you have doubts. Don't be thrown off when you're intimidated or you don't see how it's going to work out. Because God is calling you according to who he has created you to be. Any comeback, any comeback 
whether it's a comeback in a broken relationship, whether it's a comeback financially, whether it's a physical comeback, any comeback will start a war within. If you don't feel like you currently got a war going on, try to come back and watch what happens. There will be days where you want to give up. There will be days where you think, I don't have it anymore. I can't do this anymore. I'm worn out. I'm exhausted. Nothing's changing. I'm discouraged. I feel like I've, I haven't made progress. I've actually gone backwards. I feel like I've lost ground. A war will ensue within you when you start to get to the point where you're like, I'm not content with where I'm at. I'm gonna, God's peace is pushing me to move forward. God's peace is saying that you weren't created to live here. We're going through here. Any comeback will initiate a war within. God is asking you, are you brave enough? Are you mighty enough to face it and to fight the war within? Second thing I want you to write down is this, that God equips those that he calls. God equips those that he calls. I think it's so cool that God not only calls Gideon when it doesn't make sense to us, but then he gives Gideon exactly what he needed when he needed it. Every time that Gideon is asking God for a sign, God does it. Asking God to stick around, God sticks around. Setting the meal on fire, he sets the meal on fire. Putting, do you want it? Okay. You want it dry? Okay, here it's dry. If you're still afraid, go down. You're going to hear this crazy dream. This interview. God is giving Gideon exactly what he needs when he needs it. He's equipping him to fight this war within. So the opposite of fear would be faith. And so God is feeding Gideon's faith as he's asking Gideon to be brave enough to fight his fear. Now, you don't have any better of a picture than what you see happen with these soldiers. See, Gideon thought what he needed was more soldiers. Gideon was calling as many as he could, gathering as big of an army as he could. Gideon thought he needed more soldiers. God knew that he needed the right soldiers. There's a difference. In times of need, in times of distress, times of discouragement, a lot of times what comes natural for me is I seek a lot of voices. I seek a lot of attention. I seek a lot of sympathy. I seek a lot of input. Maybe it's just me, but sometimes you, you don't like the answer you got from one person. Well, they, they don't know what they're talking about. Let me go to the next person. And you like what that person said. You're like, yeah, okay, I'm one for two. Let me go for two for three. You know, we think that in times of need, what we need is more input, more voices, more people involved, more sympathy, more attention. When we look to recruit voices, God's always looking to reduce voices. God's saying you don't need a lot of opinions. You, you just need mine. You don't need a lot of words. You just need mine. Because the only one that you can take to the bank, the only one that will never return void, the only one that will never wear out or run out is mine. And so God wasn't concerned with how many soldiers he surrounded Gideon with. He was more concerned with surrounding Gideon with the right soldiers. You see by numbers, by God dwindling the numbers, you see by equipment, God not being like, hey, since there's only 300 of you, even though these aren't invented yet, Here's machine guns and flamethrowers and all kinds of stuff. Here's a couple dragons. Maybe you guys can wipe them out with some dragons. God's not like supernaturally giving them equipment. He's actually doing the opposite, being like, no, you don't, you don't even need weapons. Grab a trumpet, grab a torch in a jar, and we're going to do this thing. By numbers, by equipment, by what he's speaking to Gideon, God is not looking for men of force. God is looking to surround him with men of faith. And only God knew the 300 that would stick by Gideon's side when he said, there's only 300 of us, and we're not even going to bring weapons. 
See, we need to be careful in life that when we're making a comeback, when we're trying to live the life that God created us to live, when we're pursuing the calling that God has called us to, that we don't surround ourselves with people who are just going to work to get us what we want, but we surround ourselves with people that are going to pray that we get what we actually need. That we need to, to listen to people who aren't just going to say what you want to hear, but you're going to listen to people who say what you actually need to hear. It's not about recruiting voices. God is usually reducing voices to set you up to live the life that he's called you to. And here's the amazing thing about people of faith. People of faith will stick by you when things don't make sense. People who just want to get things done get discouraged and usually fall off. People of faith, it was never about getting things done to begin with. It was more about we can't do it, so we need to trust in someone who can. And so even if it doesn't make sense, we're not going. where else are we going to go, Gideon? I didn't leave the first time. I didn't even really need water. I just did it because you said it. But I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to do what God asked us to do. You don't want weapons? Let's not do weapons. God's going to do it anyways. God was looking for men of faith, not men of force. As crazy as it may seem what God is calling you to do, God will equip you for what he's called you to do. This last thing that I want to hit is I call the band up and really just sum up this whole series that we've been in is this idea that my comeback requires me to constantly come back to God. My comeback, your comeback, your comeback story will require you to constantly come back to God. In every story that we've looked at these last three weeks, you see that we're reading about a physical, crazy, supernatural comeback but you're seeing that it actually started with a personal comeback in every single one of these guys. So you see with Abraham, we read about the crazy miracle, right? But the, what, the bullseye behind all of it, what we keyed in on with Abraham in week one was that it was his lack of faith that God would do what he said that drove him to try to have a baby with a woman he wasn't supposed to. But you see this, this story of him coming back to faith in God alone that brings him to the point that at the end of the story, when God said, would you sacrifice your son Isaac, we read that he says, well, I believe that he can resurrect the dead, so absolutely I'll do it. So the same guy that doubted, or same guy that doubted that God could give him a son was ready to sacrifice his son because he believed that God could actually raise him from the dead. You see that the story of Abraham was really just a reflection of the comeback that he made in here. We read last week about Samson, this guy who did all these supernatural things that everyone could see, had these character flaws that he, he never checked himself on and he never addressed. And it was the things that nobody could see that actually took him down in a way that everyone could see. And we see that over the years when Samson was just turning into this guy who was trying to just fulfill his needs and what he wanted and what he desired and what his character was leading him to, brought him to the place where he lost everything. But we talked about last week how we see that something began to happen. As his hair began to grow back, we see this change in Samson's heart where Samson turns to God in the end and he says, God, remember me. And what he's referring to is this word that was spoken over his mother before he was born of saying the purpose of this child is going to be to free my people. And, God, and Samson says to God, God, remember me. I'm ready to come back to my purpose. I'm ready to do what you've asked me to do. You see that this whole story of Samson came back to Samson coming back to the heart of God, coming back to the purpose and the call of God. The same is true with Gideon. You see this incredible comeback, this improbable victory that God's people 
live through and see. But you see that it was actually going back to this war that was waged within Gideon. The beginning of the story, we've been talking about all night, the guy overcome with fear and doubt, giving God lip, just throwing an attitude around like it's no big deal, doubting God every step of the way, God is patient. God's patient with Gideon. And then God is just giving Gideon everything that he needs when he needs it. That God is calling Gideon to be something, to be someone that it didn't look like he could ever be from the outward, but God knew what he had created him to be, who he created him to be, and he knew that he'd give him exactly what he needed. So he addressed him as a mighty warrior. And you see throughout the story, as he's giving Gideon what he needs, you see it kind of culminate in this moment that we kind of brush past. But as Gideon hears this whole dream interpretation, it says that he immediately dropped to his knees and he worshiped God. Now, the significance to that is this guy who was doubting and who needed signs beforehand every step of the way, all of a sudden is worshiping before the physical battle ever took place. I mean, if you need an outward sign that something changed inwardly, this guy who wouldn't take a step before God showed him, okay, this is really what you, now is worshiping before the battle ever took place. And I think what freed him up was that he realized the battle that I was called to was within here. And I've actually, I, I'm experiencing victory right now. It doesn't, we, we haven't even done that, but God, I got freedom in here. I got freedom in here. Now, if you don't believe me with that, you see it, another sign where the dream, this is something so subtle, but I, it stuck out to me this week. You see that the interpretation of the dream, the soldier says, the sword of Gideon is going to wipe out the camp. But I think it's, it's very profound that Gideon was intentional to tell us the soldiers, when we shout, we're going to say, the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. How easy would it have been to just repeat what he heard, which was bringing the attention to himself. And you know, anytime we get defensive, anytime we get bitter towards God, it's because we're viewing everything through, I'm offended, I'm hurt, I'm disappointed, what's going on? Gideon, for the first time in the story, is not it doesn't matter about him. He's actually saying, no, it's actually the sword of the Lord that's about to do this whole thing. And for Gideon. See, Gideon finally came back to a place in his walk with God where he realized it's only going to be through God. It's faith in God alone that is going to deliver us. It's faith in God alone that is going to give us this victory, that is going to secure this comeback for us. Now, you read some other stories in the Bible where people test God and it doesn't go over as well. And I, I really do think that what's so profound about this story, and I, I, I believe that the reason why God is so patient with Gideon is because God could see that Gideon was being honest. And this is where I want to bring it home tonight. Gideon wasn't just saying to God what he thought God wanted to hear. Gideon was just saying to God what he was actually feeling. Sometimes we can fall into the trap of, I got the goosebumps in the moment, the song is my jam, uh, whatever. This person sitting next to me who I was, I'm stoked about. All right, God, yep, let's go, let's do it. And, and it, it's not really an honest answer, it's just more the answer I think that God wants to hear or the answer that I was moved to give. 
But there's something so profound about being honest with where you're at. There's something that lasts when you're honest with God. And here's a shocker. God knows already. You're not faking God out. You might fake me out. You might fake the person next to you out. But you're not faking God out. Well, you know, we talked a few months ago about this idea that God can only draw close to the person that you actually are, not the person you pretend to be. So when you're fake and when you're not honest with where you're actually at, you're the one putting distance in between you and God. It's not God. God died so that he could actually be close to the person you actually are, not the person that you pretend to be. And so I have respect for Gideon in the sense that he was honest the whole step, the, every step, the whole time. And I'm in awe of God's patience. That God is, I'm not intimidated by that. I'm bigger than that. And there's a call on your life. And so doubts and fears don't scare me. Disappointment, unmet expectation. You're not losing me that easy. There's a call on your life. Maybe you're here and you're like, well, man, if an angel of the Lord came to me and said he's going to be with me, I might have that too. We got something better. You know, the last thing that Jesus says before he sends into heaven is, I will be with you always to the end of the age. As he's commissioning his people to go and do what they were called to do, created to do, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. And someone even better than me is coming who's going to actually live inside of you. The same spirit that just raised me back to life is actually going to live inside of you, and he's going to speak to you, and he's going to reveal truth to you, and you're going to have the word. That promise is for you. In this season, in this circumstance, in this setback, in this chaos, in this tragedy, in this broken relationship, Jesus is saying, I'm with you. His, his words ring just as true tonight as they did on that mountain thousands of years ago. I'm with you always. I'm not going anywhere. This situation is not too scary for me. Your doubts and your fears and these thoughts that you're running from and acting like they don't exist, they don't scare me off. I'm with you always. Will you be brave enough to fight against these things? Will you be brave enough to not submit yourself to these thoughts and these fears and these doubts, but actually say, no, I'm actually going to wage war with these things because there's a call in my life. I want to invite you to stand up. And we have a prayer team that's standing along the back, and they would love to just pray with you. Maybe there's something tonight that you feel like God just did something inside of you and you'd love someone to talk to or pray with you. Maybe there's something weighing heavy on you and it has nothing to do with what we talked about. It doesn't matter. They're back there. They'd love to just listen. They'd love to encourage you, give you a hug, pray for you. And so as soon as we start this song, I want to encourage you, if you, if you could use prayer tonight, to make your way back um, and get that prayer. For the rest of us, I, w- I want to ask if we could do something. Could we model after Gideon that even though tonight I'm sure something in the physical might not have changed just now, that we can choose to worship in faith before we see something change in the physical? Because we've just reminded our souls that, no, my faith rests in the God who's bigger than all of that. I'm going to focus on what I can't see, and I'll trust that God will handle what I can see. We're going to sing a song, a new song. And this song has been wrecking me uh, this week, just been destroying me. So I thought we'd do it to you. Um, The lyrics to the chorus of this song say, I'll throw all my cares before you. My doubts and fears don't scare you. You're bigger than I thought you were. I'll stop all negotiations with the God of all creation because you're bigger than I thought you were. And uh, 
I just want to take a few moments, and this isn't about giving you the goosebumps. This isn't about feeling the momentum in the room. I want to just take a few moments as we sing this song for you to have a personal time with God, to be honest, maybe the first time, maybe the first time in a long time, that you could come to the place where you're like, God, you know, I don't know why I've been trying to fake you out. I don't know why I've been fooling myself. I don't know why I've been acting a certain way, but this is where I'm at. And the beauty of embracing where you're at and embracing what you're struggling with and embracing these thoughts and these doubts and these fears is that then you get to accept the joy of saying, but God, you are so much bigger than I've given you credit for. You are so much bigger than I thought you were, and I trust you. I got more faith in you than what I can see. As we sing this song, I just want to encourage you to think of those things, to to surrender those things, to bring those things to God. Jesus, we just thank you tonight for everything that you've done for us. We thank you that it was your death on the cross that allowed us to make a spiritual comeback, that allows us to have a relationship with you. And God, I pray for every person in the room as we sing these words and we sing these songs. God, I pray that you would bring us to a place of honesty. God, I thank you that you died for who I really am. I don't need to try to pretend to be somebody I'm not. I don't need to try to fake things that I'm struggling with or, or hide things that I'm thinking. But God, we come to you in honesty tonight, and we thank you that you are God who never quits, who never fails us, who never leaves us, who never forsakes us, a God who is bigger than anything that I'm facing and anything that I'm struggling with. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.